I want to start in the first 13 verses there of the 16th chapter and go over this evening on the parable of the unjust steward. And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, and hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then said he to another, How much, and how much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful, and that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before you this evening, we pray that in this moment, in this hour, that you'll pour out your Spirit upon us, that we may gain understanding of this parable that you've preserved for us. Lord, may we see this evening that what it really means to be a wise steward and what it really means to be an unjust steward. Lord, may we be reminded constantly in our hearts that what we're striving for in this life isn't to be the most notable of Christians. It's not to be the richest of all believers. It's to be the one who's been counted faithful in service to you. Lord, in all things, may we be faithful. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. The older we get, I guess the more we can say that the older we get, the more we are embracing the reality of our own mortality. The older we get, the more we realize that there's coming a day in which we will need to retire. And as we begin to think about this need to retire, usually the first thing that 
comes to our minds about needing to retire is this thought process about how are we going to store away money so that when we go to retire that we can actually retire. There's nothing wrong with this thought process at all. You know, the Bible, time after time in Scripture, teaches us about what it means to be a good steward. But if you've watched the news any time at all, the one thing that we've also learned in our society that troubles us as we think about retirement is when we see news articles about people like Bernie Madoff, who has taken well, what the government estimates to be some $20 billion worth of people who were seeking to store away money one day hoping that they were going to retire only to wake up and realize that they had lost everything. This is what our parable is about this evening. It's a parable about an unjust steward, a person who was put into place to manage money and not only squandered it, but maliciously squandered it away. Verse number one tells us that he was wasting the goods. Well, something we must all understand in scriptures is that the subject of financial stewardship is mentioned more in the Gospels than we read about in the matter of prayer. Financial stewardship is mentioned what they say some 2,350 times just in the four Gospels. That is to say, one time in every 10 verses, the thought process of being a wise steward is presented to the reader and to the believer. That is to say that in the New Testament, it is more than the references in Scripture that we read about prayer because it's only mentioned about 600 times. Also, when you think about references of faith in the New Testament, it's re referenced almost 500 times. Yet, financial stewardship, 2,350. Matter of fact, in the matter of Jesus speaking in the New Testament, financial stewardship is mentioned more by the Lord than he ever mentions heaven or he mentions hell or more than he mentions heaven or hell combined. This matter is a constant matter that is taught to us. Now our passage that is put before us can be somewhat of a complex understanding. I mean it's complex when you first read about all that this unjust steward has done and then when you get to verse number eight after you read about how unjust this steward was, how he squandered his good, how he squandered his master's goods, how he did all of these things, in verse number eight, he says, And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. This at times causes us to say, Wait a second here. This man was corrupt. When he found out he was going to be put out of office, he behaved even more corruptly. And the master who heard word that he behaved more corruptly commended him for being corrupt through and through. Yet that is what's given to us here by the Lord. We may wonder what this means, but what this parable teaches us is that where there is no discipleship, there is no stewardship. You may be wondering what I mean by that, but what, what, what Jesus is implying is that in the grand scheme of these 
verse 1 through verse number 12, what the Lord is trying to explain to us is that your money will tell on you every time. It always has. It, it always will. The way you manage your personal finances, the way you handle your personal finances is a key indicator about your devotion to Christ. This passage teaches us you can fake a lot of things. You can fake your prayer life. You can fake that. You can fake your devotion to scriptures. You can fake that you're someone who lives a holy life. You could come in here week after week and say that you're concerned for the lost and certainly raise your hand every Wednesday night and pray for the lost, but you cannot fake financial stewardship. Your checkbook will tell on you every time. You can't fake this matter. Our, our checkbooks will reflect where our actual goals are. They will reflect where our convictions are. They reflect where our relationships are. This is what the Lord has given to us here. He is saying in the same way that the government followed the paper trail on Bernie Madoff all the way back to him to prove out that he was a fake steward, that he was an unjust steward in the same way the Lord can look upon our finances, look upon our checkbooks, and actually see whether, whether or not we are unjust stewards or not. You can say whatever you want. But as the adage goes, you've got to put your money where your mouth is. You can say that you have a desire to reach people across seas, but if, if you ain't given to the cause, it kind of brings us into a place of question here. Even more in the end of this, when this unjust steward realizes that he's about to lose his job. He doesn't stop and he asks for mercy. He doesn't uh, stop and repent. But this crooked, unjust steward decides to take one last swing to secure himself in the end, in the midst of all of this chaos where he finds out he's losing his job while he's on his way to get the book. This unjust steward takes one more step to secure his future. Look at verse number one. And he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. That is what's first told to us here is that there was a rich man. He had a pretty grand estate, and what is presented before us is that there was a man put before us, and his charge and his job was to manage his master's estate. Now understand what when he says here in verse number one, when the Lord says that he had wasted his goods, this isn't to say that this steward was like our parents would complain to us that we cooked more food that we could eat and it would be set on the counter and it would be wasted. That's not what's being implied here. When the Lord said that he was wasting his master's goods, it is the same implication if you was to go back to Luke chapter 15 and verse number 3, when we read the story about the prodigal son who has wasted, who was squandering his inheritance, this is the same implication that the Lord is telling us about this unjust steward. He was, he was, he, not only was he squandering it away, but there was a malicious intent to it. 
almost a state of envy as he was wasting his master's money away. But when the rich man hears about this, verse number two says, he, he hears about this servant that's wasting the goods. So in verse number two, he says, and he called him. This means, and the master called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. So the master calls him and he says, it's time to turn your books in. It's time for me to, to give an audit to this. And if everything that I've heard to be true is true, you are no longer going to be steward. Verses 3 and 4 says, as this unjust steward is on his way to get the books, picture it in this way, uh, as he's on his way to get the books for the master, he begins to think inside of himself, what now am I going to do? So then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me in their houses. Now, for whatever reason that's put before us, you, we don't know it. Maybe he was built like me. Maybe he was elderly. But he had this steward had reasoned in his mind that he was in no ship, uh, shape to be digging ditches. Hey, I'm not in no shape to do this at all. I, I, he's reasoned within himself. And then he said, well, I guess if, I, if I'm not in no shape to do physical labor, maybe I can resort to begging. But then as he thought about begging, he began to swell up in pride and said, but I am too proud to beg. So if he ain't going to work honestly and he's, he's not going to beg, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to continue in my corrupt ways. So what does he say here? So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, how much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, in hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, take thy bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then said he to another, and how much more owest thou? And he said, in hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, take thy bill and write fourscore. Now understand that this is like no small scandal that this unjust steward has set out to do against his master. In this time, the measurement that you would see here when he says that um, this hundred measures of oil, this is to, estimated to be some 850 gallons of oil. So he's telling this unjust steward, is telling the person who owes his master a hundred, you owe my master 100, 850 gallons of oil. I tell you what, just cut it in half, sit on it, and I'll come to see you after I get fired here, and we can work out a deal. Then he turns to another, by the way, they say that 850 gallons of oil is the same that it would take to harvest from 150 olive trees. It is probably worth some thousand, a uh, thousand denarii, but even more. To go on, he looks at the person and says, well, how much wheat do you owe my master? He said, well, I owe your master a hundred measures of wheat, which is a thousand bushels, which is a thousand bushels, uh, this um, hundred measures of wheat, it would take a hundred acres to harvest this much wheat. So he says, you owe my master a hundred bushels of wheat, 
I'll tell you what you do. That's 2,500 denarii. Go ahead, cut it down. Let's make a deal now. I'll put it in the books. And even after he fires me, I'll come back and look for you because look how much money I just saved you. When this news traveled back to the master, in the first part of verse number 8, it says, And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. Now that can be confusing. He lost his job for being scandalous, but the last act of scandalous activity, he said, Whoo, you know what? I commend you for that. You have behaved wisely to the, to the end. You have done well to the bitter end, looking out for yourself. And then after that statement in verse number eight, the parable abruptly ends. And then from the last part of verse number eight all the way to verse number 13, the Lord offers commentary about the parable he just told to the disciples. Look at verse number eight. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. And then it ends. And then it says, for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Here in verses really 8 to verse number 13, the Lord is going to give us, he's going to use this bad example of a dishonest manager to give us three godly principles of financial stewardship. First, he's going to say, use your money with strategic generosity. The master commended the dishonored man, this, this dishonest manager for his stewarding, for his shrewdness. One of the reasons why this parable is so difficult is because of the commendation the rich man gives to the dishonest manager, but the steward misappropriated the master's money. He falsified official documents to, to kind of give himself a golden parachute as he's fired from this job. This man is even called an unjust steward, yet the master commended him in this final act. But notice the master does not commend the manager's dishonest activities. He commends the manager's commitment to his way. He commends this manager for even in this moment in which, in which he had found himself in a pinch. He commends him that even in this moment in which he was caught, he did not change. It's important to understand. This man wanted to ensure, this unjust, um, unjust steward wanted to ensure that he would not go from a, from a manager to a, a bum on the street. Even though the master was cheated, he gave props to this crook because he was smart enough to think about the future in the midst of a crisis. This is important. Why? Because the Lord says, for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. He says, the Lord says to us, you see, this is, you have to understand, there's a lesson to be learned from here. You see, these the unbelievers of the world, they will work diligently for their cause. They will plan well. They will save aggressively. They will 
spend carefully. They will invest wisely. They will do everything they can to ensure their future kingdom that they're building on this earth. Yet believers do not. Now, the Lord is not here, in a sense, challenging believers to compete with the world for financial success. But what he's laying out before us is that this unjust ruler was committed because in this unjust ruler or this unjust steward's mind, his future was being built here. The kingdom that he was building was being built here. So he was ready to lie, cheat, steal to the bitter end to make sure that this kingdom was successfully built. But he said in the same manner, the children of light, they are not willing to give their all to ensure the building of the kingdom of God. They're not willing to give everything that they have. What happens oftentimes in Christians' life, not to the good but to the bad, when we find ourselves in a financial pinch or when we find ourselves in hard times that we put ourselves in, Maybe not all the time, but most of the time we buy something that we want and that 28% credit is a monster, interest is a monster. But at the end of the day, when we find ourselves in a pinch, the first person, the first thing that we cut out of our bills is tithes. Like, well, not today, Lord. Yet we say that our complete investment, that our whole desire is to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ so we can build the kingdom. By the way, the Lord will also reason that this is normal behavior for the world because they believe that their investment and everything that they do is going to be benefits now. But the confusion comes. When the child of God knows that nothing, all the money that you store up here, there's no U-Haul behind the hearse. So invest into the kingdom and where you're headed. But the confusion is, he says, but the, the people of their generation, your generation, they are wiser than the children of light. We get caught up in troubles, and then when we get caught up in troubles, that uh, we get so nervous that we, we fail to invest into the future. We fail to invest in the things that matter. We fail to invest into the kingdom of God. You know, there's coming a day where we'll be with the Lord in heaven. And in that moment, the Lord's not going to say, what are you doing with your money? There's coming a day where, well, when we get older, maybe where money won't mean much to us, or maybe when we get older, we won't have much money. But in that moment, the Lord is not going to be concerned what we did with our money in that moment, but it's cool. what, what did we do with the money when we had it? What did we do it when, what would we do with the money when we had the surplus, so to say? And if that's not even confusing here, the Lord adds to this in verse number nine. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Notice that he calls money the mammon of unrighteousness. He'll, he'll further clarify that in verse number 13. Mammon he is using here as a, a reference to money. And in this, talk, in this text, he's calling money, the money of unrighteousness. So the Lord is saying here in this verse that 
that we should use money while the rich in the world won't use money except anything upon themselves. That's what we see in uh, the later part of Luke chapter 16. Isn't that what we see with the rich man and Lazarus? What did the rich man do? As Lazarus said at the gate, he spent time investing in himself. He, he lived sumptuously and fared sumptuously every day. But the rich of this world, those who are focused on their wealth in this life, do not care about others. Yet here in verse number 9, the Lord tells the children of light to use the mammon of unrighteousness, which is money, to invest into others who are unrighteous so that maybe in the end, this money that everybody's so worried about hoarding up, in the end, you may be able to use your money to reach others and that in the end of it all, he says in verse number nine, that they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He says, use this money that is the mammon of unrighteousness, use this, to be an example and to help others opposite of what the rich of this world do, and maybe one day you're going to see them in heaven. But if you spend your time back and forth, that's why he ends verse number 13. It says, no, no, servant, or, no servant can serve two masters. We do really good about being faithful to church. I mean, this is the Wednesday night crew. This sermon most of the time doesn't apply. But we do well being faithful to church. We do well in singing. We do well in all of these other things. But what Jesus is using about this unjust steward is saying, this is who he was through and through. Is this what we are through and through? Or when it comes to our finances, does it stop? Does it stop right there? Do, do, we, do we stop at the door of giving to the Lord's cause? Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Our call is to, in this verse, to use our money to reach them. This is a striking difference from the unjust ruler. The unjust ruler lived focused and concerned about himself. And he says the children of light ought to live in the opposite way, committed and focused on using their money to further the gospel into the world. Even more, he says here, that we ought to use our money with unconditional integrity. Verse 10, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Understand what the Lord is saying here. He's, the Lord is telling the disciples, I'm not trying to tell you that my desire for you, the way I'm going to look at you as a faithful steward is if you end your service to me with $50 million in the bank. It doesn't matter to me. The Lord doesn't care whether you have $50 million or $50. His only concern, according to verse number 10, is that you're faithful in what he has given you. Are we faithful to use that which we have been given in furthering the cause? Are we faithful in what we do have? Also, he says here, 
We ought to use our money. Lastly, you ought to use your money with a single-minded devotion to the Lord. Now, this isn't to say that empty out your IRAs and your 401ks and let's go to Peru and buy an island and live there. This is to say that you, it's good to retire. It's good to invest. It's good to do those things. If the Lord doesn't return, and he may return tomorrow, it's good to be a good financial steward and planning for such a day. That's wise. But also it's to say that that's what we do already, but what are we doing with the surplus? If What is the ledger in our church or in our um, checkbook saying that we're doing? It is not to say that every line in the checkbook, don't, don't leave here saying, oh man, he sounds like uh, Daniel Pearson now telling everybody to give him all the money. That's not what I'm after. <laughs> Sorry, man. I almost said Creflo, but I just roll with you. The... Uh, the, but it's, it's not what we're, <laughs> this is a joke, but, uh, but, uh, but we, we have to use our money with a single-minded devotion for the Lord. Luke 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. The unjust ruler was out for himself. And you know what? The reason that the master commended him is because he was out for himself from the beginning to the end. He was a crook in the beginning, and he finished as a crook. Not one time in this unjust steward's life was there ever one sliver of honesty. The 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 master said, I commend you because there is no situation that you can be put in in which you're going to change. Even when I caught you, even when I told you to go get the book, you still did not change. But what is worse than that is people who say that they are committed to the cause of Christ and they are being betrayed in their actions. You can say you're serving the Lord with all your heart and then give your all to another. Jesus is not talking about here in verse number 13. It's about working for two different bosses. It's about being a servant who is under sovereign authority to the master of the house. No one can look two different ways at the same time. No one can serve two different masters at the same time. You can only serve one, love one, and be devoted to one at one time. But we must choose between the masters. In the closing of verse number 13, Jesus gives us the application of this principle that applies to this parable. You cannot serve God and mammon. Crooked, through and through to the bitter end. But even in this bad moment, he still had the future on his mind. And we ought to be committed through and through to the bitter end. And even when we find ourselves in bad times, we ought to live in a way where the future is on our mind. We ought to live in a, even when times are tough financially, we ought to live in a mindset 
with our where our focus, our looking is to the future that we're trying to build the kingdom of God so that one day, that even if it's a 50 cents or a dollar bill or two dollars, and if that's all we can give, then pray upon it and may the Lord bless it. The point is, though, if we're committed, then let's be committed all the way. Don't let our money tell a story that we professed that we were committed, but it had no use for the Lord. Don't let your checkbook tell a story about how you never tried to reach anyone with the gospel. Don't let your money do that at all. Don't say, I'm committed to pray. I'm, I'm committed to reach lost souls. I'm committed to be faithful to the church. And when it comes to the finances, well, I'm going to one day. The parable just says commitment is best portrayed in the unjust ruler. His commitment was put before you, and he was unjust all the way through, no matter what happened in life from the start to the end. And we ought to have the same kind of commitment as children of light. But the Lord said in their generation, in, in this generation of the people he's talking to, he said, these unjust rulers, these unjust stewards, they are wiser in the children of light because they have realized what's before them. They have realized their future, and they are committed no matter what to it. But the children of light have not realized the future fully, what is before them. Therefore, they have, been, they have failed to be committed to it to the bitter end. That's where we have to get, to the place where we're committed no matter what. Committed in all things that, you know... It, it's that we're committed in our actions, committed in our giving, committed. Of course, this parable here deals with uh, a lot to do with financial things. And of course, many, I hated that even in looking and reading for this, so many preachers use this text as a matter of extortion. It's not what the Lord is after. He's after us being committed to the master of our life. That's what he's after. And if we're actually committed through and through, it will show up in the finances. It will show up in our prayer life. It will show up in our attendance to the church. It will show up in every aspect and ever we go because we're committed through and through no matter what. That's what a wise steward looks like that serves the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. Lord, I know that at times these Parables, there's more uh, that could be fleshed out and studied than time is offered, Lord. But I, I pray that um, we, we study this, we apply this to our lives, Lord, and that we're challenged um, to not be caught up in a life where people aren't certain who we're following, where people aren't certain what we're after. But people will see no matter where they look in our lives that they are a people who are committed to not only service to you, but furthering the gospel message to a lost and dying world. May our desire to give, our desire to reach the world benefit in one day where we may uh, enter into heaven and see people who are saved because of the selfless giving of your people. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.